Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In our Week in IndyCar show, our guest episode, Bobby Rahal, your 1986 Indianapolis 500 winner, your three-time CART IndyCar Series champion and co-owner of the two-car, hoping to be three-car, Rahal Letterman Lanigan IndyCar program. Great conversation with Bob, as always, because he's a good friend. He and I do this quite a bit. Rarely in front of a microphone, uh, rarely for print, just always enjoy catching up with Bob. In this case, hey, there's a little bit of news this week. You might have heard Roger Penske bought the freaking Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the very NTT IndyCar Series where Bob and other team owners compete. That dominates the early part of our conversation. Then that third car, that mayor of Hinchtown. James Hinchcliffe, what are the odds of the man finding his way back into a full-time ride? Bobby's hopeful, proposed, possible third Honda-powered entry is definitely the one that seems like the obvious destination. Can the money be raised? What's the timing of when this is still feasible, not feasible? That spans probably the first half of the hour conversation And then it's weaving through the normal fun stuff that you all send in, since this is a listener-driven show about Bob's past, mistakes, high points. Thankfully, a listener mentioned that we might need to do a dedicated podcast on one specific aspect, a narrow band of Bob's history. So I've made a note here to do that. But nonetheless, here we go. Bobby Rahal, someone who can give us rather important context about the gigantic changes that have come to IndyCar here. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA on the good old Marshall Pruitt podcast, our Week in IndyCar series, every episode available on MarshallPruittPodcast.com, along with the 600 other episodes that have gone up spanning sports cars, in-car audio sounds, ambient sounds, my racing life and career features, it's all there to be found and all the various ways to subscribe to our little fun here in weekly audio journey on the Marshall Pro Podcast. It's a Bobby Ray Hall appearance on the week in IndyCar. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good, Marsh. Good, you know, for for an old guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not too bad, thanks. I've been struggling a little bit to try and come up with things you might talk about. Did you have any ideas? This might be a short episode, Bob. Uh, well, I saw on uh, I saw on my Facebook. There's a lot of questions. It's a matter of uh, you know, God, I wish we could uh, answer them all because they're all pretty good ones. So, uh, but I'll, I'll leave it to you to figure out which ones are, are the best. I've heard a rumor that uh, our mutual pal Roger Penske might have bought something. Uh, yeah. Maybe I haven't haven't been able to confirm that, but there's strong hints on the interwebs. Yeah. Why don't we uh, Why don't we kick off here with Bob Rundgren, who says, "Bobby, what is your take on the purchase of the Speedway and the series by Roger Penske? Are there any conflict of interest concerns? Are there any concerns when, at some point, Roger cannot continue? But there is a solid secession plan. So let's open yeah. the uh, Let's open the show with the big news yeah, of the uh, week, if not yeah. the freaking century. Yeah, it's um, it's. Uh it ranks right up there with the, the, the biggest news ever, I suppose. Um, 
uh, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, I am so pumped. Uh, I think it's so exciting. Uh, you know, I've now known Roger since the early eighties. Right. And, and Roger's just a class act. Um, you know, a, a great businessman, tough businessman, but great businessman. But you know, the thing about Roger is he has such a burning passion for motors for IndyCar racing in particular, but motorsports as a whole. Um, I mean, you know, but, you know, he's been when you think about it he's been racing since the 50s in one way shape or form and um you know if it wasn't for he and pat patrick you know back in the in the late 70s they basically resurrected indycar racing i mean you had the 500 but you know the rest of the series was really uh was really suffering pretty badly and uh he and pat um, took, you know, the white paper that Dan Gurney produced on behalf of the owners and, and, you know, voila, you have cart. Um, so, you know, his commitment to, to IndyCar racing, to the sport of motor racing, uh, I don't think it, it is, you can't question any aspect of it. I mean, he's, he's proven time and time again, that his, his, uh, his, uh, his passion for it and, and respect for the sport. So I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled. I think this takes, this just elevates IndyCar racing and the Indy 500 um, to a new level. We haven't had a race yet, right? But <laughs> just the fact that this the fact that he's at the helm, I think uh, he has such there such credibility, and there's so much respect for him in the in the business world, the automotive industry. I mean, you name it. Uh, I mean, if you're a third manufacturer looking at in, IndyCar racing as an engine manufacturer, you got to say, Hey, I think this is a pretty safe bet now, you know, whereas before maybe you couldn't say that. So I think he, I think he just brings so much um, value to IndyCar racing as a whole to Indy 500. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm kind of giddy you know, about it, frankly. And, and I know people have said, well, what about conflicts of interest? Well, you know, he was an owner of cart and you know, his cars didn't win every race. In fact, there was periods of time where they didn't win many races at all. So, you know, I have, I have no concern whatsoever with, uh, with any, anything that could even remotely be considered, um, favoritism or conflict of interest. Cause that's just not the way he is. And he's, you know, he's no fool. He, he knows he has to, he has to be Mr. Clean, uh, because if it, there's, if there's any, um, hint of it, then it just, it negates the credibility that he has. So I, I have no worries about uh, conflicts of interest or anything like that. As I mentioned on my separate listener Q&A show, at least in the part one, Bob, because uh, some folks had asked me the same thing. Keep in mind that Roger just mollywhopped the entire field in 2019, won more than half the races, won the Indy 500 without owning the series, without yeah. owning IMS. Yeah. So uh, if, if anything, there maybe there should be concerns if a less proven team owner who'd failed to achieve those levels of success had purchased everything. Maybe malfeasance no, yeah. would be an issue there. Here, yeah. the guys dominated without owning all the toys. Well, and and you know, again, um, you know, his track record over the years is such that, and it's not about the racing; it's about the way he does things. And um, you know, he's he's there to win. And uh, I don't, and I don't think for a moment that that attitude is any different by owning the series. I mean, he as far as for the series and for the entrance. And the teams, he knows he has to have strong teams. He knows he has to have competitive racing and fair racing. I mean, he's, he, again, he's no fool. So uh, he knows he has to have that for this to really work out. So I, like I said, I have no uh, concerns whatsoever. And if anything, I think, you know, if it was going to be sold, if the, if the Speedway was going to be sold, 
Um, frankly, I don't think it could have been sold to a better guy. And, 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 and it could have been sold to a lot worse people, you know, ah. so I, I think we got to be pretty thankful that, uh, that Roger stepped up you know, when he had the opportunity. And, uh, because uh, as I say, it's, uh, it's, uh, this is a huge deal for, for all of us in IndyCar racing for the Indy 500 for the future of the sport. I mean, just huge. Well, I can now reveal exclusively here that the Miller and Pruitt bid for the Indy 500 and uh, IMS didn't go through the offer of weekly pork tenderloin sandwiches and all the Pepsi, (laughs) the Holman George family could drink. Didn't quite make it past the lawyers. Uh, Let's our pal, Jeremiah Morell asked a similar question asking how, and maybe you can give some insight here, some background. How is Rogers purchase of everything different in any way from say Tony George and the vision racing slash Ed Carpenter racing team that uh, he's been an owner well, of and, and whatnot. Well, Maybe that's a guideline for well, there you, yeah, there you go. practices. There you go. There, there, there you go. So, um, you know, certainly Ed uh, uh, had, there was no, he had no special benefit um, being the stepson of Tony. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, that, that just proves the point, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I, conflicts of interest and, and, and things like that are, um, uh, that's just not going to happen. I, I can guarantee it. You know, another thing I'll add in here, Bob, and, and maybe you can share if you had any similar thoughts. I do know that someone like Roger, someone like a, a chip, uh, I would assume you, there might've been some concerns, not necessarily immediate concerns, but Hey, we love this sport. We love this circuit. What is its long-term uh, future. What what is the thing that will keep it in place and secure? The thought of is there a way that maybe one of us could become that steward? Do you think there's anything along the lines for Roger of someone who's invested so much of his life at Indy, thinking, well, if I have a chance to be that person who can maybe help secure its true long term future, maybe that would be a pretty amazing thing just based on the the passion that he has for this wanting to yeah. f- protect this. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that, I mean, certainly when Rogers, Roger called me at seven thirty in the morning yesterday, um, you know, to, to tell me, of course I'd, I'd seen the heads up from Mark miles that there was going to be a, a, a release about this. And then Roger literally called me like a minute later. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, we had a great discussion and I, uh, I, you know, frankly, I thanked him, you know, cause I think, I think IndyCar racing is in great hands right now. Um, you know, we've had great stewardship with Mark miles, I think, and Jay Fry and their staff over the last, you know, I don't know, seven, eight years, however long it's been. Uh, but now we've got, you know, we've got a vision that a guy that not only can have the vision, but a guy that can make it happen. Uh, and, and also a guy that, you know, listens, talks to people, listens. Uh, and I think that's what's so valuable. So for Chip or me or anybody, I mean, I'm sure Roger's going to reach out and talk to all the owners and, and all the other, you know, I mean, he's reaching out to the, he's going to be reaching out to the fans. I mean, he's a guy that understands that the way you get things done is to create a consensus and, and based on the information you get from a lot of different people and then you go off and make it happen. So, uh, you know, as an owner, uh, I feel that the security and the growth and of, of any car racing 
has never been better than it is right now. And it, I mean, as I say, I think everybody's kind of is very pumped about the possibilities. Let's get into some of our additional questions on the theme here. Ryan Ward says, Bobby, when you get a chance to stand and talk to the captain in the coming days, and he asks, what's the one thing he can do to maybe help your team attract more sponsorship uh, so you can in turn hire a third driver? I think this is another emerging topic here and help grow yeah. the series. What would be your answer? So that's a good one. Uh, when RP calls says, Bob, give me some thoughts to put on this to-do list. Are there any yeah, that come uh, first? Yeah, no, I think that is, a, that's a very good question. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, and, and let's face it, it's, it's not like it's gonna, there's a magic pill that everybody's going to take and voila, you know, it's all's better. I mean, it's going to take some time. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I think that clearly as we improve uh, the, you know, the, the, you know, the TV ratings, as we improve the spectator attendance, which has been pretty damn good over the last several years, uh, as we create more positive news about the series that generates more interest by corporate America. Um, again, the fact that Roger Penske, we had a discussion yesterday with all of our sponsors uh, to answer any questions they might have about this and what the effect of this was. And I think everybody felt, you know, our, you know, we probably have 20 sponsors or thereabouts at varying various levels uh, and various types of sponsors. And I think, I think to a, to a person, I think everybody was very positive about what this was going to mean for their investment in IndyCar racing. So nothing's going to happen overnight, but this is the start of everything that's you know going to make, this growth that I speak of, um, you know, possible and, and, uh, and, um, uh, and, you know, anything else that enhances the value. And, and I mean, just him coming in and buying it enhances the value, as I said earlier, but this is going to be something that corporate America is going to say, okay, it's in great hands. Roger Pence, he's got a great reputation. His, his companies are hugely successful you know what? What he's done there, he's going to do with the series and do with the with the speedway itself. We should probably get in on this thing. So I think you know, as I say, the, the, just the impact of it is is I think huge for us. Let's go, Bob. To where should we go? We've got a, again, we are blessed with an abundance of great questions and somewhat limited amount of time. What do we go mm-hmm. to our pal Vincent, who says, Mister Ray Hall, what is your favorite? Holman family memory. Oh, uh, well, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, I, I think what I would say is, um, uh, of course, Tony Holman passed away before I got to the speedway. So I never, I never knew him. And I, and I certainly wished I'd had because he obviously was a, a, a dynamic person. Um, you know, uh, you listen to AJ Foyt talk about Tony Holman and uh, he, this man had to have been really something else. Um, but for me, I have to say Mary Holman George was such a kind lady. And, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember the year I won, uh, we had a young girl, a family with us and she was a special wish, wish child. Uh, she had cystic fibrosis and, uh, she and her um, her parents and her two sisters, two bro- two uh, one is a sister, one brother, who one of them also had cystic fibrosis, if you can believe that. Um, uh, they came to the race as our guests, and 
and Mary uh, really took an interest in them and really kind of uh, took them, you know, while I'm out driving and doing everything I'm doing. I mean, really, Mary rolled out the red carpet for them. And I always just thought, and then I did, nobody asked her to do that. Um, she just did it. And I think that, you know, that was, very, I mean, she was just a very kind lady. And, um, and, uh, uh, and I'm not sure many people, if you don't really, if you weren't around her a lot, might not know that, but she was a super, just a very, very kind person. And so uh, that's probably the best. I mean, these, this family had a great time. Of course, my winning, that didn't hurt, but it was the whole experience. And, um, and, uh, um, and so I think, <clears throat> I think that's probably my, uh, uh, my fondest memory of, uh, of, uh, the family. Absolutely. Let's go Bob to a theme here. Got a couple questions. Don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard, there's a Canadian IndyCar driver who is <laughs> rather popular and idiots like me, like Miller and also some awesome fans seem to think that a third Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan racing entry might be a perfect fit for a certain mayor of Hinchtown. Mm-hmm. Jack Holman asks, how can fans help get the mayor in a third car at your team? Horatio Frey, when will you confirm James Hinchcliffe <laughs> as a driver? Um, let's kind of, let's stay there for a moment. So yeah. let's talk about the situation, Bob. We have a driver, won six races. We know that, what, in 2013 with uh, Craig Hampson as his race engineer, three wins that year. We know that Hinchtown, a, an incredibly valuable member of our community and also connecting what we do to the outside world. What comes to mind when you think of the situation hinches in and is there a possibility? Is there a way you think he might be able to land under your tent? Yeah. Well, you know, this, uh, I feel bad for, for Hinch cause you know, I've known James since, I mean, he and Graham and, you know, I'm trying to think who all, uh, I think Wickens and, and some guys like that race go-karts against each other, you know, back when they were like 9, 10, 11 years old, 12 years old. So I've known Hench for a long time, his family. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a lousy, um, you know, frankly, lousy thing that happened. Uh, uh, you know, I, it reminds me of, you know, in 2010, you know, Graham was at Newman Haas Lanigan and then McDonald's pulled out at the last second and he went from having a ride to not. And everything else was taken, and um, you know he was able to piece you know some of a season together the next year. But it's a it's a tough position, and for James, um, you know, uh, you know it's kind of obviously you know for one minute you think you got a deal, and and then the next minute you don't, and it's of course really late in the year, and of course most everybody has 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 uh, has uh, you know made their plans. Um, but, you know, I think uh, and I said and I think others have said if we could find money, I think we'd we'd try to certainly run him or run some run some races with him, whatever the case may be. Because, as you say, he's, he's proven to be a winner, um, good guy, very personable guy, you know, very popular in the series. So it's, um, uh, you know, it's a tough position for him to be in. And, I, you know, I don't know I mean, if we had the money, we'd we'd be there, but we don't I'm Not saying we're not looking for it, but it's just you know, the money just doesn't grow on trees as you well know. So, uh, all I can, you know, all he can do is, is just, you know, work, you know, try to figure out how to put it together, you know, with, you know, 
appeal to everybody who's ever said anything to him that he would do something for him or whatever. I mean, you just got to go out and, and try to make it happen. And, um, you know, as I say, it's a real shame. I got to believe that something's going to work out for him. Um, where I don't know, but I got to believe that something's going to work out and it may not, you know, it may not be a full year. I mean, you know, it's, it may be abbreviated, but, you know, as Jay, I'm sure James would take anything at this point in time. Uh, you know, obviously you want a full season, but maybe you just have to do with 500 or maybe you have to do with some other, you know, uh, as I say, an abbreviated schedule. So I, I don't know, but, uh, but obviously if it was based on, on, uh, you know, the power of wishes, he'd be there already because obviously a lot of people are anxious to see him in a car somewhere. Unfortunately, I don't have the person's name in front of me, Bob, but, Sticking to this theme, someone asked regarding the timeline, is there a cutoff date for fielding someone in the third entry and whether that could be Hinch or someone else, knowing that we do have a few months, right? We've got about three months uh, until folks need to start packing things away to head towards Circuit of the Americas for spring training uh, in early February. Does that timeline help? Is that timeline something yeah. where you would not want to wait until, say, February 1st uh, to see if something could happen? So curious what kind of window we're talking about if uh, Hinch were able to find something to bring to you. Well, the, the big problem um, that we certainly face, and I, I can't speak for some of the other teams that have expressed an interest in him, but the big problem we face is, is personnel um, because we don't have three cars worth of personnel um you know mechanics engineers truckies you name it right um we've got two cars because that's what we have as a two-car team and and that's the biggest thing it's not acquiring the equipment or all the hard assets that's not the issue the issue is the personnel and certainly at, at this stage um you know like anything the good people are pretty much committed um so it, it uh that's that to me is the real uh, but that, that's the real uh, uh, that's you know the reality of what we face certainly and I'm not as I said I'm not speaking I can't speak for others but it's just you know and you just don't want anybody you know you got to have good people um, so uh, that's the challenge and it's per, that's a pretty tough challenge this late in the year I guess that raises the other point of while if someone knocked on your door today whether it's a, a great sponsor or series of sponsors or a great driver with funding to bring on November 5th, the odds of finding those high, highly talented mechanics, engineers, truckies, etc. better odds of that happening today than three months from now. So there's oh, a sure. bit yeah, of a sure. built in uh, governor in terms of timeline to try and yeah, make something no, happen. Yeah, for sure. But I would, again, I would, I would, um, I would just again uh, caution that um, it's uh, uh, it's uh, finding good people at this point in time is what the, that's the real tough part. That's the real tough part. Stay here. Tristan Woods asks Bobby, can you compare anything like what we've seen happen with Hinch uh, during your driving years? And is there anything uh, that compares to it that you saw that you thought was fairly crappy uh, in your era? Well, I mean, like I said, you know, Graham went through this um, when McDonald's pulled out at the last second. 
um, probably this time of year, maybe, maybe even a little later, I think. I pulled out in 2010. And, you know, and he'd had a good year in 09. I think he finished seventh in the series and he, he, uh, he was, had two poles, uh, you know, had some good races. Um, so, you know, I've seen that and from my standpoint, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I had in, in 19, um, you know, in 1979 into 79 or 1980, I should say, um, you know, I didn't have a very good year um with the can-am team i was with I and mean, we had some decent finishes but i didn't have anything to speak of and couldn't get a ride you know a year earlier everybody wanted me <laughs> and a year later nobody would return your phone calls you know and now nobody had made a commitment to me and then bailed out at the last second but clearly similar sit- types of situations uh, happened uh, to me uh, at times especially early in my career um you know i guess you never took everything for granted you know you just when it happened, it happened. But, um, um, but you know, there have been clearly there have been situations like this, although not that many, but there have been situations like this in racing in the past. And I suppose there always will, but it's, um, you know, it's uh, obviously not, um, uh, it's just a shame because it really put, it puts James in a really tough place. And um, you got to say, you know, that was that deserved and, and I have to, you know, I think most people would say no, um, but you know, it's a cruel world out there and you know, it happened. And so now he's got, to, he's just got to try to make the best of it. Last question on the third car world. And I know you've already addressed part of the, or significant part of this, but Duncan mm-hmm. asks with regard to a possible third RLL seat, would you consider working with say two drivers you know, combining a driver with say half a budget with another driver and do a ride share or is your yeah. mindset more one driver, one season? Well, clearly one driver is a better, you know, a better situation because especially if it's a very good driver, you know, the the whole idea of running multiple cars is to make the, the team as a whole that much stronger. Um, it's not to just to say you've got a third car. And at least that's our attitude. You know, our attitude is you only do it if it's going to make the other two cars better and the other two are going to make that car better. Um, so you don't, you know, it's not a matter of headcount. Um, uh, so, you know, I, you know, if you had to, and we've certainly looked at that, we've considered that, um, because there's a lot of guys that really don't want to drive the ovals, especially those from Europe who probably would be quite strong on the road circuits and the street circuits. So, you know, okay, who do you get that would do, um, that would do, uh, you know, the road courses and street courses, and then who do you get to do the ovals? Um, um, so, I mean, you know, people have done that people, you know, uh, before, um, you know, last year was the last year, the year before, uh, Ed Carpenter did that, uh, uh, with his driver in 18, the guy ran the road courses, he ran the ovals. Um, is it the ideal situation? No, not in my mind. Um, and of course sponsorship is an issue then at some point. Uh, but you know, if you had to do it, I suppose it'd be worth doing. It would just be a matter of who it is, you know, who are the drivers. And then again, you've got to have the people to man it. So, um, you know, it's, it's just not as simple as, uh, saying, yeah, I'd do that because again, you have to have the, the foundation for it, but it would, it, you know, if, if obviously if, uh, if, uh, you know, somebody who was clearly really good and the money was available and we had time to collect the people to, to man the, that team. And it was, you know, one guy on the road course and street course and the other guy in the I mean, we'd probably look at that pretty, pretty strongly. 
I'm going to throw in a question here because I think it kind of sort of fits. Had a, a number of fans, I wouldn't say a lot, but a number of fans inquire very gentle terms about Nico Hulkenberg, who appears like he might be on the outside looking in in terms of Formula One ride. No, Dale Coyne has offered a, a quote somewhere saying that he might be interested in looking at Nico as someone who has spent a fair amount of time in F1, Bob. Curious what comes to mind when you hear about someone like a Hulkenberg who could be on the market, could potentially come to IndyCar, F1 guy, but he's never won a race. That podium sure has been elusive. Been around for a while, so his name has some cachet. But yeah. he's not. Is there still that, oh, he's a Formula One driver, we should talk to him thing? Or do you think those yeah. days have maybe passed where Nico, a Hulkenberg coming on the market, doesn't lead to a feeding frenzy in IndyCar. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's been all kinds of Formula One drivers that come into IndyCar racing. Some have gone pretty well, you know, like Emerson and uh, people like that, uh, Nigel Mansell. And then there's been a lot of, there's been other guys that have come in and have Formula One experience that haven't done so well. So I don't think that's been in Formula One. Now, maybe if it was, um, you know, maybe if it was Lewis Hamilton or, or, you know, somebody of that stature, maybe, uh, uh, you know, it, it would be, and there would be every expectation that they could do quite well. You know, really, for for those looking at any car racing, the big issue always seems to be doing the opals. Yeah. And, and um, if, if you remember Mike Conway, Mike was a very, very good road course racer. He had a big shunt at Indy uh, when he was driving for Dennis Reinbold um, a number of years back. And, you know, he just didn't, want to go, you know, do the ovals, you know, uh, 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 Max Chilton, you know, last year, you know, and, and I have, I have a lot of, cre- I give those guys a lot of credit for, you know, some people would say, well, I don't want to be seen as, you know, some people will criticize me for not having the guts to do it or, or whatever, but Hey, if you're not comfortable doing the ovals then don't do it. And, um, so, you know, the guys in, in Europe, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of concern about the ovals that they're not really willing to uh, to take on. So for Hulkenberg, the big thing is, you know, is he re- a would he really embrace, you know, the, you know, the series and, and really commit the kind of time it takes and being here all the time and, um, you know, just you know all that kind of stuff that the commitment, the level of commitment that he would need uh, if he wanted to come here and try to be successful because it's not easy. You know, um, IndyCar racing is not easy. It is a different sport compared to other types of racing. And um, um, and so, you know, if you're willing to commit yourself to it, hey, why not? But if you're, you know, if you go in and say, well, I only want to do these races or that races, well, then you're not going to get many opportunities because the teams are looking for somebody who's going to do it all. Absolutely. Let's go, Bob. Stay in F1 here for a moment. I look forward to this answer. This comes in courtesy of Ed Canerva, who says, would love to hear about your time at Jaguar F1 as your tenure there seems like peak Ecclestone era politicking. We need to capture a genuine Bobby Ray Hall's Jaguar Formula One stories podcast, just a standalone after maybe a bottle and a half of wine one evening next year. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, yeah. what can we share in maybe an abridged form? Uh, boy, well, you know, I, I really loved, um, the experience. Um, uh, I love the creativity that I saw in formula one. I mean, the money was crazy, uh, but 
the creativity, you know, the fact that you literally had to make everything, um, uh, you know, the gearbox, uh, I mean, you name it. Right. And, uh, a lot of smart, creative people there that I just, I, I just found that very, um, uh, exciting, you know, attractive, uh, seeing these things come out of, you know, take, take shape, take form on a CAD cam somewhere on a computer and then actually see the real thing. And then, uh, so, I mean, that was, that was something special. Um, you know, and every, uh, you know, everything was fine. Uh, but clearly there was a, a, a different, uh, idea of, of, uh, when Mr. Lauda came on the scene to run all, to be ahead of Cosworth, Jagland, Jaguar, Formula One and Pi Electronics. Um, you know, there were just different ideas of how things should be run. Um, you know, I thought we were making good progress. Had just finished third at, at Monaco and I had just signed Adrian Newey. You know, uh, all these all these great things they were going to uh, hopefully pretend a great a great future for the team. And it all just kind of fell apart. And, you know, you can't it was just obvious that um, uh, you can't have two people running a company, you know, at the same level. So uh, decisions had to be made. But I enjoyed it. Uh, it was exciting. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have traded the experience for anything. It's just, I was, I was disappointed that, you know, I wasn't able to fulfill the, um, you know, the term of my agreement, but, you know, um, Ford took me there and Ford supported us when we got, when we got back. So as a team, so, you know, it was, uh, it was worth the risk. It was worth the try and, and, um, it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Let's go to Damien Cesario who asks, in 2003, most kart teams jumped over to the IRL, leaving only a few of the original teams as it transitioned into Champ Car. Damon's curious why you took the team to the IRL instead of remaining in Champ Car. Well, in 03, we had we had one car in Champ Car. We had uh, we had Michelle Jordan. Who that's did, right. Had a that's year. right. Had, I got the had, years had wrong. A fabulous year. And then we had Kenny Brack and on the on the, uh, the IRL side. I mean, what what really brought me back to to uh, IRL to a certain degree to a large degree was Mr. Osaka, who had been my uh, direct contact at Honda when we began the program in 1990. Well, I started. I first took him to the Long Beach Grand Prix in 1989, um, and Osaka-san was a, just a super wonderful man and. And, uh, of course, you know, as, as you all know, uh, uh, we, we brought, helped bring Honda into formula into IndyCar. Um, we ran one year in 94. It wasn't a, such a good year. Uh, we probably made some silly decisions to leave Honda at the time based on various things. And, um, you know, uh, and then I got to watch all my competitors, many of whom tried to keep Honda from coming in and coming in with us. I saw them get all the, the benefits mm. of that. So, in, but in 2002, I got a call, you know, never thinking I would ever get the chance to, to be with Honda again. In 2002, Mr. Osaka called me. He was at the, at the U.S. Grand Prix in Indy and said, would I meet with him um, in Indy? So I never, I was shocked when I got this phone call. And um, uh, so obviously, yes, absolutely, I'll come see you. So uh, because we had developed a friendship. Uh, I mean, I have a great picture of he and Graham walking, and Graham was four years old wow. in, in 1993. 
so we had we always had we had a personal relationship as well as a professional one. So anyway, when he asked me to to um, if I would meet with him, I, I absolutely jumped at it, and and uh, we met in his hotel room in Indy, and he said, "Would I come back to Honda?" And I, he was like, "Wow, I never thought I'd get that offer again." And of course, absolutely. And so that was to take Kenny. As if remember, Kenny drove for us in 2001, Kenny Brack. Yep. He left us, went to Ganassi in 2002, and then came back to us in 2003. And part of that was uh, the potential of, of uh, driving with Honda. So, um, so we, uh, so, because uh, Chip was with uh, Toyota. And uh, so we, uh, we were able to put that deal together. And that's kind of what kind of, I won't say pushed us, but that's what motivated us to take Kenny and to go into uh, go into the IRL with the one car. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of had a foot in both camps in 2003. But by the end of three, it was clear that you really couldn't do it that way. Um, and so we uh, decided to put all of our eggs in the in the IRL basket in the IRL basket. And of course, we won the 500 in 04 uh with uh with buddy rice so it's i guess a, a reasonably good move on our part not so bad in hindsight yeah uh, let's see let's go to lance snyder a couple things here we're going to dive into a little bit of history says bobby is there one thing in your racing career that you regret it could be a race got away a deal going awry or something in between you know i don't really uh you know, if I regretted anything, I, I, I wished I'd had some uh, adult uh, leadership management when I raced in Europe in, in uh, 1978, 79. Uh, you know, I had, you know, of course, I raced in Formula 3 in 1978 and then did the U.S. and Canadian Grand Prix. And, of course, the, 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 the um, you know, the idea being that I'd run for Wolf in Formula 1 in 79 and, um everything kind of fell apart. Uh, and uh, so I was on the outside looking in, I think maybe if I'd had some adult management, cause I was 25 years old, uh, I think maybe, um, uh, you know, I would have been able to continue. I mean, who knows, but I just think maybe that would have made some difference, but then in, in the end, I really can't, um, you know, I look back and I had good years. I had bad years. Uh, I, I had, uh, you know, some what ifs. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, in 79, I came halfway through the year to replace George Fulmer in the Can-Am team that he drove for. And then in five races, we ended up, you know, on the front row, I think every race, I ended up winning a race, a couple top threes. Uh, and I was like the flavor of the year. You know, I, I had Barry, I had Paul Newman calling me about driving for him in 1980. Yeah. I had Carl Haas. He had a Carl Haas, but I'd given my word, my handshake, my word. Uh, to um, Herb Kaplan, who I drove for in '79, that I would continue with him, and and in the end, that didn't that wasn't a very good decision on my part because we didn't have the latest equipment and we really suffered. And literally a year later, nobody you know nobody was interested. Um, you know, do I regret that? Not yes and no, because in the end, I have to look back at my career and and you know kind of marvel uh, at it in the sense that, you know, when I started racing, I never thought I was going to drive for a living. I just, you know, I just loved driving, loved racing. And, you know, one thing after another, now all of a sudden, maybe there's a potential to be able to do this. And then to go from how I got in and then, you know, 1973 is when I started. And then what, 13 years later, I ended up winning the Indy 500. 
you know, in five years, I ended up in Formula One uh, from 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 uh, seventy three. Yeah, I look back, and I gotta say, you know, had a pretty, you know, pretty fortunate. Pretty, I never got hurt, really, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, um, you know, you gotta look back and think it was pretty damn good. So, uh, it would, I think it would be a bit, um, it'd be a bit um, uh, ridiculous for me to to regret anything. Let's go to David Barker. He says, as a team owner and someone who understands business, how difficult is it to secure sponsors these days? And he asks, what kind of return on investments are co- companies looking for? He says, we won't ever get back to the tobacco money days. But are there other areas that have similar potential to boost IndyCar? And I thought this question was interest, Bobby, knowing that the pursuit of major partners goes back to you know decades with what you've done curious if there's any differences that you've seen in terms of harder or easier from say the nineties. And if yeah, the, well, what you hear from those potential partners, what they want from you might be any different. Yeah. Well, it, it's more difficult in, in some respects now because, um, you know, in the nineties we had great TV ratings, uh, that drove a lot of, uh, that drove a lot of sponsorship. Of course, you know, we had, there were multiple beer companies in, in IndyCar racing in the eighties and nineties. Uh, there's none now, which is crazy. I mean, I, I don't get it. Um, you know, the beer industry is declining in market share and what have you. Uh, and as far as I, I don't think anything's changed, you know, guys drink beer and guys go to races. So I'm still a little bit unsure why beer companies aren't in racing, but anyway, and you know, in the eighties, nineties, you probably had five or six different beer companies or beer brands, you know, in the series. Um, of course, when the tobacco, as you said, when the tobacco companies left, I mean, that took a, a huge amount of money, just left, uh, left the series, both for the promoters, you know, for the teams, uh, I mean, you name it. Um, you know, since that time, it's, you know, we, we've become more inventive. We've become more, you know, B2B uh, sponsors are in greater number today than they were, way back then. And, you know, it just depends on the, the size of the business uh, model that, you know, there's the potential to find money like you used to be able to find. Just It just depends, as I said, on, on the deal that's put together between two entities. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, you know, I've seen funding coming from in different manner, different ways than they used to. It used to all be kind of consumer based. Now it's, you got B2B, you got consumer, you've got industrial. I mean, it's just different. And, um, and you can, uh, I mean, you, the opportunity to find the kind of budgets that are necessary are out there. It's hard. It takes a lot of work. Uh, the expectations are far greater today than they were in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the expectations on the teams, the drivers, uh, it's, it's just different. Uh, you know, if the TV ratings improve, uh, that's going to bring more consumer-based products into the series. So that's good. And again, I think with you know Roger joining, uh, owning the, the the organization now, and all the drive that he can put forth to it, I think there's going to be more opportunities. So uh, it just takes time, but it, it just takes a lot of work, and um, and certainly more than it used to. Um, but as I say, you know, it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's not possible. All right, let's wind start winding things down a little bit with our last handful of questions. Going to go to Mike Jablo, who asks if you can offer any updates on the restoration of your 1966 Eagle IndyCar. Well, yeah, thanks for that. I love talking about that car. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, 
I've always thought the, the 66, 67 Eagles maybe were the most beautiful racing cars ever, ever produced. Easily. Uh, just so, so pure, so simple. So the lines, everything just right. You know, it just looks right. And, um, and Dan Gurney, of course, was a, a hero of mine. Our hero. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, so, so I was fortunate to be able to, uh, uh, buy this car, which was the ex Jerry Grant, Grant Pace Setter Homes uh, Eagle, that finished tenth in Indy 566, qualified tenth as well. Uh, of course, Jerry was a, a pretty successful American driver back in those days, and later, later I knew him quite well because he was a Champion Spark Plug representative on the circuit. Uh, but um, yeah, so we're we're uh, been in the process. Uh, I have the engine is out with a guy named Phil Riley who. One of the, my one man of the yeah he's just a, a such a, absolutely the best when it comes to restorations of, of very unique cars and first engine building and what have you um and um uh, and so we're, we're the monocoque is almost done uh it, it uh, we weren't man- able to save the bulkheads and and uh, the, the original skin with the exception of one panel, which was the, the top panel. So that'll, and we're putting it, we're having a new aluminum nose made as well as aluminum tail. Cause it had fiberglass versions of that. The 66 cars had aluminum and then they all went to fiberglass later. But anyway, um, so it's coming along and then it's just a matter of, uh, all the other little stuff that, uh, because the car had been changed over the many years that it raced uh, the car, you know, was on the front row in 1970 at Indy, uh, with Johnny Rutherford. He almost was on pole, just, that's L, L senior squeaked by him. I mean, literally squeaked, um, you know, to, to, to knock him off pole. But, uh, so Johnny, so the car has been on the front row, uh, at Indy before. So that's kind of a, a great sense of history. And of course to have Johnny have driven the car as well as Jerry and others is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, the, the goal or the plan is to have it at Indy next year when they, uh, have that, uh, the show for the, the vintage Indy cars and, and, uh, and I'll probably take it to other vintage Indy car, events you know they had one in st louis last year and um maybe uh, monterey maybe monterey historics will will uh, feature them but uh it's a thrill for me to have the car and of course the ford 4cam and the bundle of snakes it's mm. awesome i mean just i mean just everything about it is right you know and uh and so i'm really uh i'm really uh, excited about it and it's amazing Th- since i've had it three of the original mechanics uh are still alive and um uh and have given me all kinds of photographs and, you know, me- you know memories and what have you. Uh, uh, a guy named uh, Roy Campbell was a, was a chief on the car. His son, Craig, lives in uh, California. Actually worked on one of my, my at True Sports for a while. Oh, us. wow. Yeah. Uh, so um, my goal is to bring all the, anybody who had anything to do with the car back next year um, and to kind of celebrate the return of the car. And, um, yeah, it's just, I love the history. It's just a lot of fun. And it's amazing with the internet. It's amazing how much stuff, information and stuff comes up. Um, you know, Roy Campbell's widow has given me uh, some photographs and, and things. So it's pretty cool. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like a, tre- you know, a treasury, uh, a treasury hunt. You know, you just uh, start to put together the story of the car and it's a, a real thrill uh, for me to be able to, to, uh, to, to own it. I love it. Uh, Tim Calabro sends in maybe my favorite question of the episode. Other than Graham, have you hired any drivers who've really pissed you off? Stories, please. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. You know, we're we're not talking Uh, out of school necessarily here. Can you share a tale about a driver that made you pull out whatever remaining amounts of hair? Oh my God. Well, they all do. They all do. You know, at some level they all do, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, um, even Takuma Sato, the world's nicest IndyCar driver. I love, I love Takuma, but when he crashes, you know, it's like Takuma, come on, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love, I love Takuma cause he, he's just, he's just a great guy and he's the best. You know, I, I love his passion and, um, I'm really happy that we're together. I'm happy for him that we've had some of the success that we've had. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Especially, I think, if you're a Bennett driver um, and maybe things don't, you know, happen the way you think they should happen, then you kind of say, come on, you guys, let's get, with, you know, let's get with the program. But um, but then they uh, they tell me that I drove a long time ago. And what do I know? So <laughs> the fair point. Very fair point. Let's go yeah. to uh, David Zitterbart. He says, when Uncle Bobby was a guest at the 2015 RDC banquet, he pointed out that you, Bob, uh, he said, Bob, when you turned up, uh, you had open diffs and a whole bunch of different things, uh, and I thought if that worked, we've been doing it wrong forever. So David's yeah. curious if you could share a story about whatever might have been the strangest thing you tried in terms of setup that either oh. did or did not work. Well, pretty much everything we put on the car in the beginning <laughs> didn't work. You know, we Our team, uh, and, and it's an amazing story really, but our team uh, – we had, there was no one on our team, no one, not one person had any oval, forget IndyCar, but oval experience, period. When, when we went to Phoenix, for example, for our first race in 82, and, and uh, I mean, it showed, you know, um, everybody else had skirts, sliding skirts in the car. We didn't, um, you know, uh, we didn't know anything about, you know, we didn't really know anything about cast, you know, stagger. Uh, or any of that kind of stuff, weight jacking. I mean, we're road racers, right? Everything's supposed to be equally set. Um, I mean, we had such a bad first race that we, we didn't even go to the second race, which was at Atlanta, not not road Atlanta, but Atlanta Speedway. Yeah. In the meantime, we, we hired Lee Dykstra, which was a pretty smart thing to do because Lee had, was a very accomplished engineer and been around a long time. And then we went to Indy and we qualified okay, but in the race we were we were pretty good. And uh, um, and so um, uh, you know with Lee, and then we went to Milwaukee. Now all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know we were running like second or third, I think, and then the rear suspension collapsed. But nevertheless, all of a sudden, things like corner weight, things like stagger, things like it's like oh okay, I get it. You know that's so you know in the beginning. I mean, we were babes in the wood, mm. you know, we, we didn't know anything and, uh, you know, we didn't know anything on the engine, you know, in those days you had your engines built by somebody. In our case, it was Franz Weiss, who was one of the best engine guys in the, in, in the world. And, uh, but we didn't know anything about, you know, the wastegates and this and that Herb Porter, you know, who was a wonderful guy, uh, you know, who was at, at that time t- pretty much aligned with, with Goodyear, did all the Goodyear test engines to, you know, of course, Herbie'd been around forever at the Speedway. Uh, Herbie's also was, was Tim Sendrick's um, um, godfather. Yep. Uh, and in fact, Carl Sendrick, Tim's dad, worked for Herb. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, Herbie took us and told us all about how the wastegates work and everything. So, I mean, like I said, we were we were absolute babes in the wood. 
uh, when we went there. So anything that we did, it was wrong until until about the third or fourth race. I love it. Learning the hard way. Learning by yeah. not knowing oh, yeah. anything. That's always oh, yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. Let's Ignorance go, was bliss. Let's go to Brian Rice. Says Bobby, I'm sure you agree agree with me that any car's return to Laguna Seca was fantastic. So sitting yes. on the turn two hillside during the race and still seeing the faded strip of asphalt representing the old circuit, yeah. I couldn't help but be transported back to my youth, watching you dominate year after year in the mid eighties. Brian says, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your perspective of that old layout from the driver's seat, especially those first four really fast left hand corners. And also curious yeah, well, about what factors made you so fast there. Well, those corners separated the men from the boys, that's Ooh. for sure. Um, you know, of course, turn one, they they called the, the little bend at, at right at start finish turn one. So that's really not much of a, of a corner. But turn two uh, was quite fast. And, of course, the earth embankment was like literally 10 feet off the side of the track. So if you went off there. Uh, you were you were in for a big ride. The kink and, at Road America that, that feels safe compared yeah. to the old Turn Two at Laguna. Pretty, pretty much, uh, and then Turn Three uh, uh, was was super quick, uh, and the curb was such it was a very steep curb on the inside. So if you touched it, I mean, it would throw you. So you really had to be very precise there, and Turn Four, okay, you know, uh, going up the hill, but. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I just took to that place and, um, uh, you know, and I, of course I'd raced there in 76 and from Atlantic, uh, I think the next time I came back was 79 in the Can-Am and I won there, uh, in the Can-Am car. Um, and I think I was one of the first to do those first corners flat. Um, so, uh, then by the time, you know, it came back and, um, you know, 83, we had an issue, um, engine issue dnf but 84 of course everything clicked and and uh, i don't know there was just you know every driver always has a every driver always has tracks that just for some reason you know they just again i'll I'll use the word click you know they just it just you go there and it all happens and and laguna seca you know was has been was that way as a driver and has been that way for me as, as a team owner you know we've won you know, I think 11 major events there, both as a driver and team owner. And, um, so, um, yeah, I don't know, but I love it. And, you know, who doesn't love the area? Who doesn't, I mean, just, uh, it's just a, a wonderful, you know, I love, I love going out there. And anytime you win at a place, you obviously love going back. So it was, it was uh, all good. Well, since RP has bought the speedway, can we get you to buy Laguna and take it out of the hands of the silliness that continues to plague that place? Year after year, it's just a plead from a somewhat local resident. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's frust- it's certainly frustrating because um, uh, you know anything that's kind of political like that. You're, I mean, that's let's face it, that's you know that's politics, right? Oh yeah, I guess. And uh, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a shame, um, particularly given. What a fabulous return we had last year with the Indy cars. Yep, you know? Yep. Um, you know, I think every time we've come back to an event, you're kind of holding your breath a little bit. We did it at Portland last year, and I thought, God, I hope this is I hope it's a good turnout. And and I think we had a great turnout in the first re- on the return to Portland in in eighteen. 
And then, uh, and again, that seemed to be the same way this year in Portland. Then you go to Monterey to Laguna and you kind of got your fingers crossed again and bam, what a great crowd. So, um, IndyCars obviously belong there and, um, uh, because people want it there. So, uh, we just, I think everybody's got to, you know, figure out how to, how to get along. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone, there's, there's no reason to be shocked when you learn that scramp, uh, will not be retained. Uh, the one particular member of the, uh, Monterey, uh, government there has been on a very impressive, uh, media campaign to just destroy Scram's reputation while mm. deflecting any criticism of uh, of his role in uh, any of the problems. So yeah, there's been a, a powerful uh, anti scramp media campaign going on that uh, it has worked. So yeah, we'll see who's going to be in charge when we return. And yeah, uh, more turmoil coming to Mazda, mm. formerly Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Now, yeah, WeatherTech ra- Raceway Laguna yeah, Seca. I, I, hope, I hope not. Like I said, I hope that uh, somehow everybody figures out how we can all get along. Can't so. we all just get along? All right, last one or two for you, Bob. John Hankins says, Bobby, how well do you get along with Graham's father-in-law? And what do you two talk about whenever you get to see him? That being the really <laughs> mild, demure personality known as John Force. Yeah, well, you know, first off, I have... I have tremendous respect, um, for, uh, for John, you know, this is a guy who didn't, who came from not much and, 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 you know, really worked hard, you know, uh, for so many years until he started to get some success. And then of course you, the guy's dominant and, uh, you know, you have to respect not just, uh, not just his success, but just what he's done on and off the track for, for drag racing. I mean, this guy, you kind of wonder, what, where would drag racing be today if it wasn't for John Force? Because, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of guys that, that are running in drag racing, and probably in general terms, the only people, the only person anybody knows is John Force. You know, I mean, the guy's just a, he's just a force of nature. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I have a lot of respect for John and, and admiration for what he's done. And I, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's a character, you know, uh, like people say, is that really the way he is? I goes, that's no act. That's, that's John, you know, he's just, uh, and I, I, I'll tell you the fun, a funny story, uh, which probably answers the question in a roundabout sort of way. But so uh, this is when Graham had been dating, um, Courtney for maybe, I don't know, six or eight months. And we were, I think we were at, we were, it was long beach weekend. I think this is, I don't know, five, six years ago. And, um, we stopped at, at their house at the forces house and beautiful home and, and had a glass of wine. Then we went down into, uh, went to the steak joint down by, um, the, uh, Newport fashion mall. And, um, I, I heard Courtney, you know, say to John, now dad, shut up. You know, don't talk, don't talk. Well, we walk into the restaurant and there's the maitre d and John turns around, looks at me, points at me and says, to the maitre d, do you know who this guy is? Huh. Do you know this Bobby Rahal? This guy won the Indy 500. Blah, blah, and off he went. Off he went. And so we had a nice two-hour dinner listening to John. Everybody listening to John. Um, <laughs> you know, I love John. That's John. Listening and, you know, to John. And I, and I, and I love it. And, uh, you know, as I said, we just had a blast. And so um, 
I give him a great deal of credit because there's no way in hell I drive one of those things at all, let alone at what hell is John almost 70 years old, 68, 69 years old. Uh, I, I give him a lot of credit cause I sure as hell wouldn't be doing it. That's awesome. That is so awesome. All right. Uh, two more. I unfortunately have lost the person's name who sent this in, who asks, have you ever considered testing your daughter-in-law at the speedway? She clearly has incredible reaction times, isn't afraid of speed and would have zero problems getting a sponsor to write the check. Yeah. Well, uh, to be honest, I haven't. Uh, and I don't, uh, there's been no indication that she'd want to do that. Uh, so I haven't really broached it. Uh, I suppose if she came to me and said, Hey, I'd like to do a couple of laughs. Like, yeah, why not? Absolutely. But, uh, but uh, she hasn't asked. So, um, I think she's got better things to do right now. Well, keeping that son of yours on the straight and narrow takes a lot of time yeah. right there. Uh, we have dedicated the entire show to IndyCars. We should. It's the Week in IndyCar podcast. But let's close on something that's near and dear to our hearts. This comes in from Justin on Twitter, who says, Bobby, does your team have a long-term commitment from BMW to remain in IMSA, or is it a year-to-year thing? We've got some other questions that came in. Just curious when we might hear some plans about BMW Team RLL and 2020 and such. So let's close on... Uh, this sporty car thing that you and I love dearly. Right. Well, we anticipate you know, being together again. Uh, I mean, we're testing here at Daytona, and I think next week it is actually. Um, so we anticipate it uh, uh, that being done. Of course, BMW makes those those announcements. So, um, um, so you know, I, I we'll leave it to them. But um, we've had a long relationship with BMW since 2008. Is when it first started. And, um, you know, I think it's been a good relationship, uh, from, from both sides. So, uh, we anticipate, uh, you know, I, I certainly anticipate being with BMW for many years to come, you know, we'll see, but that's certainly my anticipation. You know, I lied to you, Bob, we're not going to end on a sports car question. There's one here that I forgot that I had spooled up. And this is someone who has asked for you to share a memory, a closing memory for this show on the Columbus 500. For those who don't remember this glory, this glorious event, can you tell us what it was and then maybe share a favorite memory from this? Well, I mean, the Columbus 500 ran. Jim Truman really made the Columbus 500 happen. Uh, and IMSA race, I think the first year was 85, I think. Yeah. yeah. 85, and then the last year was 88. It didn't last long, of course, when Jim passed away. I mean, he was the, he was the, the force behind it. Um, it was, it was too bad cause it was a good race. It was, you know, decent circuit, road street circuit. Um, but really the, the city of, of Columbus, Ohio, you know, if it wasn't football, they weren't that interested, uh, at least at the time. And, um, and so it had a short but sweet run, uh, but clearly, uh, for me, you know, winning it in 87, uh, in, and, uh, in a portion of 962, that was, uh, that's, you know, it was 500 kilometers, so 312 miles on a street circuit. That's a lot. That's huh. a long time. <laughs> that's a long time out there by yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite wins because, of course, I was living in Columbus at the time. Um, had a lot of friends. You know, of course, you know, Jim Truman had, had really been, as I said, the force behind the event. Um, 
uh, Budweiser, you know, it was my sponsor. They had a, they had a, they have a brewery in Columbus. So, I mean, it was, it was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, reasons to win and, um, uh, and we were able to do that. So, uh, uh, you know, very, very, um, special moment for me. So, um, you know, it had a good run, uh, not a very long one, but a good run uh, in Columbus for IMSA. And, uh, uh, you know, the best of the best showed up there. So I think those who did watch the race, you know, saw some good racing. Bob, always a pleasure. When you and I get together, whether it's in person or on the phone, it tends to just turn into a gab fest like we've done here. So <laughs> thanks to folks who have sent in great questions as the guidelines for the conversation. But more than anything, thank you, Bob, for taking some time here to be our guest and provide some fun backstories and also some context on this just game-changing move in our world of IndyCar and the Indy 500. Thanks, guys. Good being with you, Marsh.